Hi, welcome everyone. Good to be with you together again. Missing you. I just want to say thank you very much <laughs> for your encouragement and your prayers and also for those who on own accord blessed us financially for the podcasts. Others have asked for our banking details, so if you want to join them, you will find it on our website www.blm.org.za. Click on the FAQ page and under how can we partner with BLM, you will find our banking details. May God bless you. Then we are ready to start. Welcome to Bridal Love Ministries podcast with Poppy Hopeflesh teaching on Song of Songs. Let's do some revision. Chapter 1, he came to her as the shepherd of Psalm 23 and she's the shepherd girl. Then we moved on to chapter 2 where he came to her as the joyful gazelle who has overcome everything and anything and he wants her to dance with him on the mountains and hills. And tonight in chapter 3, he comes to her as the king. By night on my bed, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. I will arise now, I said, and go about the city. In the streets and in the squares, I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen who go about the city found me, to whom I said, have you seen the one I love? Scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him to the house of my mother and into the chamber of her who conceived me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken my love until it pleases. Who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the merchant's fragrant powders? Behold, it is Solomon's coach, with sixty valiant men around it, of the valiant of Israel. They all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man has his sword on his thigh because of fear in the night. Of the wood of Lebanon, Solomon the king made himself a palanquin. He made its pillars of silver, its support of gold, its seat of purple, its interior paved with love for the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with a crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. You will remember that last time, when we ended, he asked her to go to the nations with him, and she declined. Then he just turned away, and he went to the mountains of Betar, the mountains of separation, the wilderness, and that's where he will be tested three times by the devil. And then we read in the scriptures, but when he came out of the desert, he was full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he returned from the desert, 
he comes in another form. He decided it is time to show her that, well, you know, I am your beloved, I am your shepherd, but actually I'm also a king. I am the king of kings who is coming soon. So she says in verse 1, By night on my bed I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. She's lonely, for he has withdrawn the manifestation of his presence. She loves him too much to be able to live without this. So she has to choose now. She wants to stay in her room, but he is not there anymore. It's only silence. She's tempted to think that maybe she imagined everything. The bridegroom left her because the harvest is ready. He must go for his harvest and he wants her to join him. And this is how he teaches her obedience. Because she refused, he just remained silent in his love. He does not lash out at her. In Zephaniah 3.17 we read, The Lord your God is in the midst of you, a mighty one, a saviour who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction, and in his love he will be silent and make no mention of your past sins or even recall them. He will exult over you with singing. This is the one thing I love about Song of Songs. All through the book you see how many mistakes she makes. And he keeps on loving her even if she makes mistakes. Sometimes he just remains silent. He will still rejoice over you, but silent. And in his love, he remains silent. Then the enemy comes and he makes mention of your past sins. He recalls them. And that's when he comes in his religious form, trying to reduce your faith, telling you, maybe you didn't do this right. Maybe you don't pray enough. Maybe you must read more scripture. Maybe you must... And he comes with all the maybes, but it's all in a religious form to make you just feel worse. So tell him to leave you and to go to the place that Jesus has for him in Jesus' name. When you do not hear him, when you do not sense his presence, remember his left hand is under your head and his right hand embraces you. You see, he hides him so that she must go and seek and find him. It's almost like he's playing hide-and-seek. And his withdrawal brings the desired result. She knows she can't stay like this anymore. She has to learn to walk by faith now. Galatians 3.11 Now it's evident that no person is justified or declared righteous and brought into right standing with God through the law. That's what the enemy is trying to quote to her. Scripture says, The man in right standing with God, the just, the righteous, you, the bride, you shall live by and out of faith. And he who through and by faith is declared righteous and in right standing with God shall live. So when you get a moment like this, you just tell him, you shut up, the enemy, you tell him, shut up in the name of Jesus. He rests in silent satisfaction over me. She does choose because in verse 2 she says, I will arise now, I said, and go about the city 
in the streets and in the squares, I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. Remember from, from chapter 2, arise is much more than just getting up. It means arise, obey, shema, obey and hear immediately. And now she's going to look for him in the city, in the streets and in the squares. Everywhere she's asking anyone, everyone, have you not seen him? And then she says, I sought him, but I did not find him. She who previously always wanted to avoid people because she always felt unworthy. Now she's becoming involved, but she does not realize this. She just wants to find him. Then she comes upon people who think, who is this man that she seeks him so desperately, so passionately? So in verse 3, she gets to the watchman who go about the city and they found me, they found her, to whom I said, have you seen the one I love? She humbles herself to even speak to them because the watchmen of the city are very important people. They are the spiritual leaders and the political leaders of the city. She, however, is unconsciously busy fulfilling the mandate that he gave her in chapter 1 verse 8 to go and find and follow in the footsteps of the flock. In her mind, she probably thought, well, they are the spiritual leaders, so they of course should know where he is. Her search has the same passion as that of Mary, Mary Magdalene in the Garden of Gethsemane. How wonderful, we are still in Pesach time, and again, here we are in Song of Songs, busy with Passover. When Mary looked for him in the garden of Gethsemane, she was desperate. She didn't realize him. She didn't recognize him. Let's read it, John 20, 11 to 16. But Mary remained standing outside the tomb, sobbing. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you sobbing? And she told them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. On saying this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know or recognize that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying so? For whom are you looking? Supposing that it was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you carried him away from here, Tell me where you have put him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher or master. Immediately, when he said her name that way, there's just one person who says her name in that way. She recognized his voice. Why? Because she's found intimacy with him. She spent time with him. She knows his voice. Verse 4. Scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love. I held him and I would not let him go until I had brought him to the house of my mother and into the chamber of her who conceived me. She passed the spiritual leaders, which means they had to pass Jesus and they did not recognize him. When she found him, she clings to him and would not let him go until Jesus told her, Do not hold on to me like this. I haven't gone to my father yet. 
and she wants to bring him to the house of her mother. The house of my mother we set before is the church, the place where everyone gets born again, and into the chamber of her who conceived me. The idea is she longs to testify about him in her mother's house, the place where she got born again. She wants to testify about intimacy with Jesus. She seeks him with all of her heart. Jeremiah 29, it says, Those who seek me must seek me with all of their heart. And she is a searcher like that. She takes the kingdom with violence. And then she brings him into the house of her mother. But this is the most difficult place to witness, especially about Song of Songs and the book of Revelation. And then we must remember the Lord himself said that a prophet is not honored in his own home. So if you're in a congregation or at a place or ministry where intimacy and song of songs and revelation is not really recognized as very important books of the Bible, it will be very difficult to testify there. See the progression that we have from chapter 1 verse 4 where the bridegroom carried her into his inner chamber and now she doesn't realize that what she's doing but what she's doing is this now she wants to bring him into her mother's chambers she's already beginning to do what he wants her to do in verse 5 he says I charge you O daughters of Jerusalem by the gazelles or by the does of the field do not stir up nor awaken my love until it pleases. Again, you have to add me in brackets there. I said last time that comes from the old King James. It was originally there. Then they removed it and a lot of the meaning of that verse uh, was lost. He will wake her up from the sleep of intimacy, chapter 1. And now he is enjoying her passionate search for him. He's watching her as she is so desperately seeking for him. And he says, I will awaken her. Whereas the religious leaders would tell her, you are overreacting, cool down. And her friends, the daughters of Jerusalem, many of them are immature or religious or traditional type of Christians who are not yet operating in the gift of discernment of spirits yet. Neither do they understand the different gifts and anointings of the Holy Spirit. And they have not yet realized that each and every believer must go through the seasons of the Holy Spirit. That's why the bridegroom warns the daughters three times not to meddle with her in her search because then they will be meddling with the work of the Holy Spirit. He calls the does as witnesses. The doe is a pattern of the vulnerability of the bride and they are very shy so they are easily bewildered and would take flight. This is exactly that the shepherd wants to prevent. The Holy Spirit enters in verse 6 with his rhetorical question. Who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all the merchants fragrant powders? When the Holy Spirit is asking a rhetorical question, it is always to lead you to a new revelation. Compare it with his question to the prophet Zechariah and Jeremiah. He also asked them, 
what do you see? And now it's the same thing when he says, who's this coming out of the wilderness? What do you see? And she will tell you what she sees. The wilderness is a place where you go and it's a season of testing, sanctification and purification. For example, Noah and his family were secluded in the ark for 40 days. Set apart, sanctification, purification and testing. Israel had to spend 40 years in the desert because of their disobedience. Noah had to spend 40 days in the ark because of all the rest of the world's obedience, disobedience. And Jesus had to spend 40 days in the desert, tempted by the devil, also because of the whole world's sins. And now we can identify with this very literally. Isn't it interesting that we are in lockdown for 40 days because of the coronavirus? What a time to study Song of Songs in our 40 days. But in Luke 4, we hear that he comes out of the desert filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he desires for his bride. We read he is surrounded by a great cloud of smoke. Smoke is a sign of his glory. See Exodus 40 verse 34. Then the cloud, the Shekinah, God's visible presence, covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Also Revelation 15 verse 8. The sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory, the radiance and the splendor of God and from his might and power. And no one was able to go into the sanctuary until the seven plagues, afflictions, calamities of the seven angels were ended. Smoke is always a sign of his glory. Sometimes there is a physical manifestation of his glory and you will smell something like smoke or something that's burning. And if you checked everything and there's nothing burning, then you realize it's not the sweet fragrance of Jesus this time. It is the smoke of his glory. His glory coming down, that's what you smell. He's also enveloped in a rich aroma of incense, myrrh and spices. These were royal gifts bestowed on him at birth and it's prophetic signs of his death. Myrrh is used to embalm and it speaks of death. Therefore the desert is also a place of death to yourself. And the incense represents intercession. The spices reminds us of the lovely fragrance of Christ. The Holy Spirit gives her all these clues so that she must recognize who he is. He wants her to know who he is. He helps her. And she does. She does recognize him because in verse 7 she says, Behold, it's Solomon's coach with 60 valiant men around it of the valiant of Israel. She did not simply just get up. She arose like he told her to. Arise, my love, arise, shine, for your glory has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That is what's happening to her. And my friend, my sister, my brother, this is what is happening to you. Week after week, his glory is arising upon you and it will change you. For he says in his word, from glory to glory, he will change you. 
So she stepped out of her fears and out of her comfort zone. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit covers her the moment she said yes to the bridegroom. Solomon's palaquin alludes to Jesus as king. He is surrounded by 60 valiant men. That refers to the days when royal marriages were guarded in this way. In the same way, the Holy Spirit sees to it that the bride is also guarded and protected by warring and ministering angels. And the blood of Jesus is a covering and she is surrounded by a wall of fire wherever she goes. Every time I start a meeting, I always pray this. I, I thank Jesus that we are all covered by his blood. I thank him for his warring and ministering angels that are present. And I thank him that we can draw a wall of fire around the property where we are. Please include this in your prayers. Every time you have to share anything, anywhere, then you know you are completely covered. And of course, ask and welcome Holy Spirit. Verse 8 is, They all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man has his sword on his thigh, because of fear in the midnight. These men are veterans. They have experience in overcoming every trap of the enemy. And they carry the sword of the word. Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and of the joints and the marrow of the deepest parts of our nature exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. And not a creature exists that's concealed from his sight, but all things are open and exposed, naked and defenseless to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. These angels are your protectors. If he had sixty protecting his treasure, so he makes sure his bride will also have more than enough protection. In verse 9 we read, After the wood of Lebanon, Solomon the king made himself a palanquin. The palanquin is made for a king. Wood always speaks of the flesh. Then we hear he made it himself. This means Jesus made it himself. It's a direct reference to when he carried his own cross and when he took the curse upon himself so that his bride might come to know him. Let's see. 1 Peter 2.24 He personally bore our sins in his own body on the tree as on an altar and he offered himself on it that we might die, cease to exist to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds we are healed. And then Hebrews 2.9 But we are able to see Jesus, who was ranked lower than the angels for a little while, crowned with glory and honor because of his having suffered death, in order that by the grace unmerited favor of God to us sinners, he might experience death for every individual person. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 Since therefore 
these his children share in flesh and blood in the physical nature of human beings he himself in a similar manner partook of the same nature that by going through death he might bring to naught and make of no effect him who had the power of death that is the devil and also that he might deliver and completely set free all those who through the haunting fear of death were held in bondage throughout the whole course of their lives we are really living in a very very intense time and this scripture spoke to me so much because you see so much about the fear of death haunting people and it's like it was always there slumbering a fear of this and a fear of that and another one and another one but it's like the corona virus made everything just explode but we his children we who share in his flesh and blood we still do it every night and we will carry on until the lockdown is over but he said as long as we are in this 40 days we have to take communion share in his flesh and blood if you haven't started please do it so that you may be saturated in his blood for he himself took in similar manner but took the same nature as what we have he went through death for our sakes why because he wanted to bring to naught and make of no effect him who had power over death shawn said he went to the shop and one lady was looking at another one and some were wearing masks and some were not and she said well some of us can just pray oh we are a praying people at this time and we know by saturating ourselves in communion we are with jesus making to no effect him who had power of the of death we are making to no effect the evil one because he jesus delivered and completely set us free from the haunting fear of death were you held in bondage throughout the whole whole course of your life take this 40 days to get free from that verse 10 he made its pillars of silver the support of gold its seat of purple its interior paved with love for who for the daughters of jerusalem not for the bride do you see that because she was also just a daughter of jerusalem a thorn bush do you remember but then while you were still a daughter of jerusalem while you were still a thorn bush he paid the price on the cross for you it was paved with blood with red these are royal colors and also tabernacle colors the silver pillars speak of redemption it's the redemption of the bride the gold support speaks of purification and testing the purification of your faith the purple seat speak of the king's authority for he is the king and he walks in his kingly authority and the interior is paved with love jesus paved it with his blood when his blood streamed down all over the cross he was thinking of his one and only bride when he said it is finished blood red because of you 
and then he was surrounded by a dark blue cloud of smoke. All of them together are the colors of the tabernacle. It's so wonderful that we see that we are in Passover time, and in every chapter so far, chapters 1 to 3, we saw the scarlet thread of the blood of Jesus woven into this poem. In chapter 1, she tasted the blood on his lips. That was when the soldier hit him in the high priest's palace, and his lip burst, and the blood was on his lips, and she tasted it when she kissed the son. In chapter 2, he fed her with cakes of raisins. He gave her communion. The cake, the raisin cake, his body, the bread, the wheat broken for her, the raisins from the grapes, from the garden of intimacy. And now we see his cross is covered in blood, this palaquin which he made himself for the daughters of Jerusalem, all to become brides. He never gives up that you will become a bride. In verse 11, she says, Go forth, O daughters of Zion. And in Hebrew, the go forth is exactly the same word again, arise. Isn't this awesome? Chapter 1, she had to arise. Chapter 2, he was telling her, arise, arise. But she did not. In the beginning of chapter 3, she said, I will arise now. Now, halfway through the chapter, she's telling her friends, the daughters of Jerusalem, the daughters of Zion, Arise, go forth. And see King Solomon with a crown, with which his mother crowned him, on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. Her call is urgent. She encourages them in the same way he encouraged and affirmed her. She prophesies that they will also arise and come forth out of the death, depression, and oppression in which she herself was bound for so long. Isaiah 60 verse 1. I just want to testify here today. I got a WhatsApp from a lady who is also doing Song of Songs. I know her. We know her well. She's done many camps, many uh, different topics that we have given Many times she did Song of Songs. And then the Lord removed her to Joburg, and there she's all alone. And she's listening into the podcasts. And she said to me, Tani Poppy, I've done it so many times, but something is different. I don't know what. But I feel after each chapter as if at last the process of inner healing, of many hurts, emotional healing, traumas it's just like he's touching me touching me and after each session i can feel i've been healed and delivered it's like a finished work and i praise you lord for that because that's what you said you would do through the live pod podcasts and you are there's no camp there's no nice feelings there's no beautiful decor there's no friends that you have with you it's just you in your room but he said he will pour out his spirit upon you and he's doing this he said he would fill you with the holy spirit again and he's doing this 
and today with the blood everywhere is bringing healing and deliverance and arising from death and depression and oppression in which you were bound for so long. Fear of death may be held you for so long. But tonight he says, I am freeing you from all of this. And see, it is the time of Pesach. Then she mentions Solomon's crown. And that of course refers to Jesus' crown of thorns. But now this crown is replaced by the crown of the king, the symbol of his authority, his sovereignty, and of his second coming. He knows he wears a crown and is preparing you to wear a crown. His mother, the church, is the one who crowns him because the seed of the woman is Jesus and he is the foundation of the church. The wedding feast is fully described in Isaiah and in Revelation. We will read the scriptures right now. But he is inviting you tonight Will you come? The wedding day is coming, but it's also now. Remember the keys of revelation? It was, it is, and it will be. You don't have to wait until Jesus is coming. He's not coming to ask you to marry him. He's asking you now to become his bride. Remember Ezekiel 16. He's asking you now. He wants to do the covenanting with you now. So that when he comes for his bride with the rapture, you will be ready, prepared and dressed and he will take you. That's why he's doing all of this. Isaiah saw this 2,600 years ago. See Isaiah 62 verse 5 and 6. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I have set watchmen upon your walls, O Jerusalem, who will never hold their peace day or night. You who are his servants, and by your prayers, put the Lord in remembrance of his promises. Keep not silence. He says, I will marry you as the bridegroom rejoices the bride. I am rejoicing over you, and I have protected you by setting up watchmen around you. You are his Jerusalem. And he's telling you, Remind me of my promises to you. Put me in remembrance. Why do you have to remind him of his promises to you? Is he a forgetful God? Of course not. Are you a forgetful person? Of course you are. And he knows this. That's why he wants you to repeat his promises to him, to quote the scriptures with promises that he's given you, covenanting scriptures, to often quote it. Do not keep silence, he says. Because when you do that and do it aloud, you hear it and faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word. So if you quote it aloud, you hear it and you are strengthening your own faith. The enemy hears it, that you are still holding fast to God's promises to you. And he told you in chapter 2, I want to hear your voice, for your voice is sweet. 
We also hear in, in Matthew 9.15, Jesus calling himself a bridegroom. When John the Baptist's disciples asked Jesus, Why do we fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered them and he said, Can the wedding guests mourn while the bridegroom is still with them? And he was referring to himself as the bridegroom. So it's nobody's idea sucked out of the thumb. It's Jesus himself who said, I am the bridegroom. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And later his disciples understood what he then said, what it meant. They didn't understand it at the time. Fortunate are we to have the scriptures, knowing Jesus called himself the bridegroom. He was taken away from the disciples, and then they fast. We are fasting for the return of the bridegroom king oh may it be soon she tells them see him with his crown she points directly to his crown and then when is he being crowned by his mother the church on the day of his wedding when is the day of his wedding the day of the gladness of his heart it's the rapture of course he comes for his bride and the church is supposed to clothe him, to crown him. And the church is not the building. It's the people. It's the brides in the church. We often hear the church is the bride. But that's not always correct because there's many people in the church who are not yet brides, who are just daughters of Jerusalem. And my brother, my sister, now is the time to change from being a daughter of Jerusalem carrying on like this one foot in the world and one foot in the church make your choice today choose to no longer be a, a daughter of Jerusalem working in somebody else's vineyard but to become the bride attending to her own vineyard of intimacy keep your eyes on Jesus this is what she is telling them when she's pointing to his crown you see a revelation of who your Lord and King is, is what will motivate you to walk in full obedience to Him. It removes all the fear from your heart. It sets you free to live the abundant life with joy and gladness that He promised. We will compare Psalm 45 to see this. And when He comes, He comes as He is described, in Revelation 19, 12 to 16. When he comes for his bride, his eyes will blaze like a flame of fire, and on his head are many kingly crowns, diadems, and he has a title, a name inscribed which he alone knows or can understand. He is dressed in a robe, dyed by dipping in blood, and the title by which he is called is the Word of God. And the troops of heaven, clothed in fine linen, dazzling and clean, followed him on white horses. That, of course, refers to the bride. He came for her. He took her away secretly with the rapture. We stayed with him for seven years where our works were tested and the rewards was handed out to us. And at the end of the seven years, we would have the wedding banquet. 
and then he returns to judge earth and everyone who stayed behind on earth under the reign of Antichrist. And we, the troops of heaven, the brides, clothed in our fine linen, our dazzling clean wedding gowns, will follow him on white horses. Here's another scripture to confirm the rapture. To come down with him, we have to go up before the time. Otherwise, how will we be able to follow him? Verse 15. From his mouth goes forth a sharp sword, with which he will smite, afflict, and strike, strike the nations. That's his judgment. It is coming. And then after that, semicolon. He will shepherd and control them with a staff, a scepter, a rod of iron. That speaks of the peace reign. That will be very strict. No sin will be forgiven. The time for that is over. You'll get a warning once and the second time he will take you out. For he is the shepherd. But he's not the shepherd of Psalm 23. He is the shepherd who controls with a staff and a rod of iron. And when he brings and comes to pour out his wrath, he treads the winepress of the fierceness of his wrath and his indignation of God, the all-ruler, no one else is the all-ruler, just him, the almighty, the omnipotent. And on his garment, his robe, and on his thigh he has a name, a title inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is how he comes back to us. Let's read Psalm 45 in your workbook. It's like a summary of the whole of Song of Songs, or especially of the rapture and the wedding feast. Psalm 45, a wedding song of the sons of Korah. I'm reading from the message just because it's different and I enjoy the way he's put it. My heart bursts its banks, spilling beauty and goodness. I pour it out in a poem to the king, shaping the river into words. That's 45 verse 1 in your Bible. So it can be, my tongue is like the pen of a ready writer for those who has to write. Verse 2. You're the handsomest of men. Every word from your lips is sheer grace. And God has blessed you, blessed you so much. Strap your sword to your side, warrior, warrior bright. Accept praise, accept due honor. Ride majestically, ride triumphantly. Ride on the side of truth. Ride for the righteous meek. All this can be said of Jesus, the mighty warrior. But he's also turning you, the castaway bride, into a warrior bride. Your instru instructions are glow in the dark. You shoot sharp arrows into enemies' hearts. The king's foes lay down in the dust beaten. Your throne is God's throne, ever and always. And the scepter of your royal rune measures right living. You love the right and you hate the wrong. And that is why God, your very own God, poured fragrant oil on your head marking you out as king from among your dear companions. Your ozone-drenched garments, all your garments, smell of myrrh, aloes, and acacia. They are fragrant with the mountain breeze, and chamber music from the throne room 
makes you want to dance. The king's daughters are maids in your court, and the bride is glittering with golden jewelry. Now listen, daughter, don't miss a word. Forget your country, put your home behind you. What he's saying is, don't don't worry about your country and your home. Yes, pray for your home, pray for your country, but don't lose sight of your permanent country and home, the new Jerusalem. Be here in the chamber, in the king, at the wedding chamber. The king is wild for you. Since he is your lord, adore him. Wedding gifts pour in from Tyre. Rich guests shower you with presents. Her wedding dress is dazzling, lined with gold by the weavers, and all her dresses and robes are wo woven with gold. She's led to the king, followed by her virgin companions. It's a procession of joy and laughter, a grand entrance to the king's palace. Set your mind now on sons. Don't dote on father and grandfather. You'll set your sons up as princes all over the earth. And I'll make you famous for generations. And you'll be the talk of the town for a long, long time. These last two verses are very important. Set your mind now on sons. Don't dote on father and grandfather. See, we have to deal with the sins of the forefathers. The fathers and the grandfathers, mothers and grandmothers. Because he says, I will visit the sins of the fathers on the children up to the third and fourth generation. But stand proxy for them. Ask forgiveness for the sins of your fathers and forefathers in the name of Jesus. And then, then you set your mind on your sons, the family, the generations that's to come after you. Every person who's got children in these days, do you realize you are bringing up end time children? Do you realize you have to teach them the ways of God because he wants to set them up as princes when he returns for the peace reign? You are responsible to teach these things to your children. Now is the time. And I'll make you famous for generations. You'll be the talk of the town for a long, long time. When will we be the talk of the town for a long, long time? At this stage, I believe the corona and the lockdown that was experienced by the whole world will be the talk of the town and of the nations for a long, long time. Everybody says there's never been something like this. It's unprecedented. But you know, there's something coming that's much, much bigger, much more dramatic than the coronavirus and the lockdown of countries all over the world. And that will be Jesus returning for his bride to rapture her away. He's preparing you for that. And for that, he has the covering. Therefore, let us go and see again what is the power of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has redeemed you from the hand of Satan. The blood of Jesus has redeemed you from every curse.
back to three, four generations. In Christ Jesus, you are free tonight from every curse and you are blessed with all blessings. You will be blessed in your place and your affairs shall be blessed. You will be blessed at your work and the fruits of your labor shall be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and you will be blessed when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise up against you and to be defeated before your face. They will come at you from one direction but they will flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your bonds and on everything you put your hand to. And the Lord, your God, He will bless you in the land He is giving you. The Lord will establish you as His holy people. And then all the people on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. And they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of His bounty. He will send rain on your land in season, and He will bless all the work of your hands, so you will lend to many, but you will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail, and you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. The blood of Jesus has sealed an eternal covenant for you. The blood of Jesus reconciled you too and granted you peace with God the Father, with all people and all creation. The blood of Jesus has granted you forgiveness of all your sins. The blood of Jesus the Son of God cleanses you from all your sins. The blood of Jesus justifies you from all condemnation. So all the accusations of the devil against you are nullified. He makes you righteous as though you have never sinned. The blood of Jesus sanctifies you and consecrates you. So you become belonging to your Lord, dedicated to Him and set apart for His ministry. The blood of Jesus cleanses your conscience from acts that lead to death, so that you may serve the living God. The blood of Jesus makes you enter into the most holy place to serve the holy God. The blood of Jesus grants you victory over Satan and all his principalities. The blood of Jesus is your reason for your everlasting rejoicing. Let's listen to the poem in your workbook, Smoke in the Desert, where the bridegroom king pauses beside you and invites you to get onto his pelican, paved in blood, to ride with him. I leaned out, looking over the horizon of the desert. There was a slight breeze whirling by, and nothing but red, sun-cracked earth to be seen for miles. As I pushed my hair away from my face, I heard the sound of thunder, like the beginning of a storm. I looked up again, and saw a cloud in the distance. Behold, it was not a cloud of dust, but of smoke. 
This is a new thing, I thought, for there is nothing but dust and desolation in this place. I watched this cloud of smoke approach, wanting to see what could smoke so. Suddenly, there were flashes of light, reflections on the armor of valiant men. I could recognize the swords on their thighs. The mark of the word was on them. Who is this, coming from the wilderness like pillars of smoke? Could this be my beloved, with the fragrance of myrrh and frankincense? See. He has all the merchant's fragrant powders with him. At last, I could see the couch, the mercy seat of the king. It was made of wood found in high places, its support of gold and the seat of rich purple. Beholding such beauty, I stood in silent awe. The king stepped out as the couch stopped before me. His majestic glory filled the moment like eternity. I was so ashamed I could hardly look at him. I could merely gaze at his royal robes and breathed in the fragrance of his presence. He approached me, reaching out his arms, and before I could understand what was happening, he gathered me up in his everlasting embrace. I could not understand this grace extended unto me, but nevertheless, I knew I needed it. He took me by the hand and lifted me into his royal palanquin. Again, this mercy surrounding me. Finally, I looked up into his fiery eyes and whispered, Why? He stroked my face with a nail-pierced hand and answered, I desire your love on my couch. May you have a wonderful night sleeping in the arms of your beloved or traveling through the eternity around the world, through the planets with him side by side on his palanquin covered with blood for love of you. Amen.